everybody. Mike here. So glad you are tuning in. Um, for those of you who listen while you're uh, working or in the car or um, trying desperately to go to sleep and you find the, vo- the sound of my voice to be an infallible cure for insomnia, however you are listening, thank you so much for doing so. We are super honored uh, to be a part of your life. Thank you for the ways that you give us feedback, the ways, uh, thank you for, for those that support us on Patreon. Um, that financial support is massive and there's a community growing there that I think is really cool. Um, Thank you for liking and subscribing and rating us and all those sorts of things that just helps keep our uh, help uh, keeps us current in the podcast world. So very grateful for all of that, my brothers and sisters. Today, uh, what I want to do is I want to, uh, and I hate doing this because uh, we've done it like three or four times already this year, but I feel like uh, I want to spend a little time responding to an article that was written by a guy named John Piper. Um, and, and I can hear the, you know, I can hear a few of you going, oh, really? Why do we have to do this? Why do we have to criticize other Christians? And I, man, I get it. Believe me, we've got much better things to do in the world than just criticize other Christians. But there are two reasons why I think this article is worth responding to. Number one, um, it, it reinforces something that I think millions of American Christians believe. And, uh, and I think can, can be quite harmful in some instances um, and certainly used for harm. Uh, but secondly, I think that there's this huge cultural upheaval going on in our world right now around the, the relationships of, of power between men and women and, and the Me Too phenomenon and, and all that's being uncovered, brought to light, all of that. There, there is a sense in which the church really has a unique opportunity to confess our sins, to repent, and to build new, um, new expressions of community that uh, foster health in these areas. Um, and, and when something like this, this article is kind of lobbed out there from a prominent Christian, I feel like there have to be other voices that simply say, hey, this isn't the only way to look at this. Um, not sure this is correct. So, so again, there's no ill will here or anything like that. What um, John Piper and I would have in common is much, much more important and much greater than what we would differ on. But um, I, I do think these differences matter or I wouldn't, you know, waste our time addressing it. Um, he got asked a question uh, on his, I think, website that was referencing an article he'd written years earlier that argued that men, in virtue of simply their maleness, have a unique um, protection and care that they're to exercise towards women um, as kind of the stronger um, vessel um, in the relationship. And, uh, and so I want to quote, so, so he gets a question about that and he, he, um, answers it and he's referring to two groups of people, complementarians and egalitarians, uh, complementarians, again, vastly oversimplifying, uh, believe that male men and women are equal. Um, but they, they have very, very different roles and responsibilities in virtue of their maleness and femaleness, regardless of their gifts. Um, and, uh, and that typically this results or or should result in the man kind of being the quote head of the woman uh, of the church and of the household egalitarians and i'm in this camp uh hold that yes women are equal and that men excuse me men and women are equal and that men and women are are different in virtues of maleness and femaleness it's just that that doesn't result in any hierarchy 
And, um, and so uh, we would spell that out completely differently. Um, so, so those are the terms he's using. And again, if you're new to the Bible, new to Jesus, uh, this is a very, very longstanding and I think very important debate because of what's happening culturally. Now, um, I'm going to quote some from the article. Um, he responds to this question um, in podcast form, and then I'm reading the transcription of the podcast. He says, my point in that previous article and in this podcast is that the egalitarian assumptions in our culture and to a huge degree in the church have muted, silenced, and nullified one of the means that God has designed for the protection and the flourishing of women. It has silenced the idea that men as men, by virtue of their created God-given maleness, apart from any practical competencies that they have or don't have, men have a special responsibility to care for and protect and honor women. This call is different from the care and protection and honor that women owe men. That's my thesis. That's my point. He says, it seems to me for decades, Christian and non-Christian egalitarians have argued, have assumed and have modeled that the peculiar roles and responsibilities among men and women in the home church and culture should emerge only from their competency, rather from the deeper reality rooted in who they are differently as male and female. Uh, in other words, um, he's saying that egalitarians argue that, listen, uh, um, the roles of men and women aren't predetermined in virtue of their gender. They're determined in virtue of their giftedness, uh, what they're good at, their competencies. He says, um, he says, this assumption by egalitarians has been disastrous. He says, complementarians, on the other hand, believe that while competencies may shape the details of how our differing roles and responsibilities are worked out, nevertheless, God has built into males and females profound, wonderful, even mysterious differences that carry different burdens and different responsibilities. Now, I, I wouldn't disagree with a lot of that, except that the roles, responsibilities are going to be very, very defined, um, and they result in um, a power differential, a hierarchy. And uh, you can say that that's not a, what, what it results in it isn't a hierarchy, but it is, and hence my objection to it. Um, he talks, uh, he raises a point in this article about how egalitarians have nothing to say when our kids ask us, well, what's it mean to be a man and, uh, versus what's it mean to be a woman? Um, the only answer we can give is, well, whatever you're good at. He says, no, there are deeper answers given in the scriptures uh, regarding the nature of manhood and the nature of womanhood. He says, and because because egalitarian assumptions have, have you know, been in play for a while now, uh, culture has moved beyond confusion. Uh, it's a firm conviction of, that of most of our egalitarian culture that men as men do not owe women uh, a special kind of care and protection and honor that women do not owe men. I believe they do. I believe 50 years of denying this is one of the seeds bearing very bad fruits, including all those sexual abuses that you talked about in your question. So that we have not been teaching men that they have a unique and special role in protecting women is what um, has gone a great deal that we've ignored. This has gone a great deal in, in um, you know, explaining the cultural sort of chaos around these issues. And, and, and to one degree, I mean, it's tough to argue with the idea that, well, yeah, if men were more godly, culture would be better. Absolutely. Men have been in positions of power, and if they were more godly with those exercising, exercising of power, or the exercising of power, then we wouldn't be in some of the chaos. Who can argue with that? But I think he's saying something more here, and it's the, the bit more 
that I want to take issue with. He says, let me just point to a few biblical evidences for believing men as men have special God intended, God designed responsibilities for care and protection and honor towards women that women do not have towards men. Lest I be misunderstood, of course, there are many situations in which women have responsibilities to care for, protect, and honor men. I'm simply saying that these are not the same. Uh, men have a special God-given responsibility that comes with being a man, not because of practical competency. Um, so he gives three kind of evidences from the scriptures. The first uh, is from Genesis um, 1 through 4, He's, uh, but specifically in chapter 3, it says that Adam was with Eve. Um, when she was tempted by Satan. And he says, in view of everything else, I see in Genesis 1 through 4, and in view of the way Paul handles this issue in 1 Timothy, I think the author of Genesis wants to see that part of the collapse of God's beautiful order in the garden was the failure of Adam to speak up. He failed to take the initiative and deal with the devil to be the leader and protector God had designed him to be. He failed and he's been failing ever since. One reason that Jesus came into the world was to destroy that failure and cause Adam to own up to the fact that he's got a special burden, a special responsibility to bear uh, in protecting and caring for and honoring this woman. So... I think this uh, is a classic case of reading um, your theological view back into the text. Now, of course, we're all guilty of this to some degree or another. Um, and you could accuse me of the same thing. I get that. Um, but, but in this instance, I very much disagree that, the, that one of the main points of the text is that Adam failed as a leader. I think the primary point of the text was that the man and the woman as co-equals were to rule over creation, but instead they abdicated that ruling over creation when they listened to this talking snake. Now, again, if you don't buy the talking snake thing, okay, I got it, but I'm just taking the text as it comes to us, that there's this Satan, this adversary taking the form of the snake who tempts the man, or excuse me, the woman, then the man, Piper reads that as well. The man should have stepped up and dealt with this. He didn't. So part of the work of Jesus is restoring that part to manhood. I read that and say, no, no, no. The man and the woman, there is no bit of hierarchy found in the Genesis 1 and 2 account until you get to chapter 3, where uh, hierarchy is introduced and, and there, the, the relationship between the man and the woman is now a power struggle. Um, prior to that, there is nothing, and this is where I really disagree with, um, with folks like Piper, who there is nothing in there that suggests that the differences between the man and the woman are spelled out hierarchically, not even one bit. Um, and, and I know the responses to this and I have responses to those and I won't bore you with the details, but I, I think it's, it's very much reading complementarianism into the text to say what the scripture saying there is that Adam failed as a leader. If he were more of a leader, we wouldn't have you know, gotten into this. I think the text is saying something a bit more important than that, which is the human beings were to reign over creation, not to be ruled by creation. And when Adam and Eve subjected themselves to the wisdom of creation and disobedience to the creator God, uh, even creation itself got thrown out of whack. So I think this had nothing to do with Adam as a man failing in his manhood. I think this much more has to do with them as created beings. Um, 
failing to exercise care, the God-given care over other created beings and instead abdicating that responsibility. Not only that, I think it's very, very clear that uh, in Genesis 2 that God's desire for the man and the woman was to live in a, uh, a relationship where there were differences, of course, men and women reflect the image of God differently as it should be. Um, and they're to care for creation differently. And they do have different roles and responsibilities, at least in the Genesis account. Obviously, the woman uh, is to be given the job of literally filling the earth, the vessel through which the earth will be filled with uh, children and other humans. No question about that, but the issue is there, there is no hierarchy here. Uh, it's fully, in my view, egalitarian until you get to chapter three, when um, God judges um, the, the, the snake, um, the woman and the man through judging the ground by creating difficulty that will, that will ensure that life will not, will not work out well for them. The point of Genesis three is that, listen, what was beautiful in the garden is no longer beautiful. And now it's spoiled because of your disobedience. And instead of having a relationship where there is mutual, a mutuality and, and you're, uh, for, for each other, for the good of each other and intimacy and all those sorts of things. Now there is a power struggle. So hierarchy is introduced as a result of the fall, not as God's original intention, in my view. And so you can't use Genesis to say, hey, man, the guy has a special responsibility. He failed. Therefore, the work of Jesus is to come and restore that. Yeah, I don't when you if you're going to bring Jesus into this mix, I think Jesus destroys the whole complementarian view by how he treats women and empowered them for ministry that many complementarians say they cannot hold today. So I, I just don't buy that line of thought. The second line of thought he offers is from Colossians when he says, listen, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Isn't that unique that he tells the, the woman or the man not to be harsh to the woman, but doesn't say that the woman shouldn't be harsh to the man. Therefore, the man has some unique responsibility the woman doesn't have. Well, if that's the line of argumentation, then any command given to the woman and not to the man, therefore, is a unique responsibility that the woman has um, to the man, but the man doesn't have to the woman. I mean, the, the form of argument this takes do, is not valid. Not only that, why were men having, uh, uh, why were men given this command? Well, it's because of the fall. Um, it's the commands that Paul gives to men and women are given for one of two reasons or both. First, they're given to reverse the curses of Genesis three and to restore the co-equal mutuality of, uh, the two image bearers, the man and the woman, no longer in power, in a power struggle, but now living in the way God originally intended, or he gives instructions to men and women, particularly to women for missionary reasons. And we We've talked about this before a whole bunch where, where often Paul will restrict the exercising of the freedom of women for the sake of honoring the cultural assumptions so that the gospel we give in a hearing. It'd be like saying to a, an American missionary who's a woman going over to Afghanistan, hey, it'd probably be good if you wear head covering, you'd at least be taken seriously and not just, you know, either harmed physically or disregarded because you weren't wearing a head covering. It's just, it's not, it's not in God's view, it's not because you have to, but because it's wise for the spread of the gospel. And so I, I just don't buy 
that sometimes the special instructions given to women can be used to disregard women in their roles for, for you know, the entire uh, church age. In fact, I would argue that if Paul were writing today, he would make sure that men and women are treat, to be treated equally and, and judged on the basis of their gifts, not on the basis of their gender. I'm sure he would do that. And the reason he would have two reasons. Number one, this is what was prophesied in the Old Testament. But number two, um, for, for a culture that is growing in egalitarian assumptions to actually insist that men and women have specific roles and a very narrowly defined what those roles can be is actually a hindrance to the gospel. Do we really want to fight that battle? And I'm not saying, I'm not saying, you know, that's the only consideration. It's just, I think a huge one that if you're going to argue that, well, look at Paul gave instructions to men that he didn't give to women. Well, he did that to women that he didn't give to men. So what do we draw from that? Um, either there's some sort of missionary thinking going on, or Paul, like he does in Ephesians chapter five, is reversing the curses um, leveled in Genesis chapter three, that the man, instead of ruling over the woman, is to honor her and cherish her and sacrifice for her. That's the, uh, that's the, that is the opposite of what the man is um, what you know his, his natural inclination is to do, which is to rule over the woman. Now he's to to sacrifice for her, and the woman, instead of trying to rule over the man, is is to call now. The biblical word is submit, but it just means to place the well-being of another ahead of your own. And it's interesting. Before Paul even gets to that command for women, he says that's the general um, posture that Christians are to have to each other. As an example of this, wives submit to your husbands. I mean, and we've talked about that p- particular verse. If you're interested in that, go back, I don't know, man, a couple of months, three months, four months, maybe more. Um, we did a whole show on that Ephesians 5 passage, but the point simply to be made is that yes, the countercultural instructions that were given in the New Testament were, were given to get away from complementarianism and to embrace the, the, the original biblical view of male, female, equal, different, yes, but those differences not resulting in any kind of hierarchy. The third argument, oh, I don't know if you heard that, that was a huge crack of thunder right there. Woo! The third argument Piper gives is from 1 Peter 3, where men are called, or husbands specifically, are called to live with their wives according to knowledge. And one of the examples of living with them, according, quote, to knowledge, is that um, they are to honor them as the weaker vessel, that the woman is the weaker vessel and the men owe them a special honor because of that. Um, now, this to me is the strongest passage, if, if you're John Piper, to use. Um uh, but even here, I think, um, <laughs> I think, I think Piper takes the text and moves way beyond it. And there's a lot of debate over what weaker here means. Does it mean more fragile physically? Uh, does it mean inferior? What, you know, a lot of debate we don't have time to get into, uh, in, in this particular conversation. But when he says, um, uh, he says the special honor that men are to um, uh, give women is an honor that flows from the stronger to the weaker. And and if, if we're just talking physically, then I, I guess I'm okay with saying that, listen, um, if my house is robbed and it's a choice between me or my wife um, confronting two men who are attempting to rub our house, 
um, I, as a man, should be the one to do that because I'm physically stronger. Okay. I have no problem there. Or if you want to say, because I'm a godly man and my role as a man is to give my life up for my spouse and my children, fantastic. But it's when you start using words like, like weaker and stronger, or you use words like um, uh, inferior um, or superior. And again, he didn't use those, that, that particular set of words here, but, but because men, uh, as a result of the fall, are power-oriented, typically, um, uh, and, and that Paul will give them unique instructions, not just because their maleness, but because of their fallenness in their maleness, and because of the fallenness in the woman, there are specific instructions given to the woman. I don't think you can draw from that, that, that the end result of instructions given to both is that now the man is head of the woman um, in, uh, in ways that, you know, model more Jesus-likeness. No, no, no. I think that what's called for is, of course, more Jesus-likeness on the part of both, and that both are active participants in rulership of the home and in governorship of the church, um, and that because there hasn't been, because there have not been um, women involved in these spaces, typically, you have tons of abuse. I mean, the answer to the, the abuses of male headship isn't more male headship, at least in my view. Um, the answers of abuse are going way, 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 way back to God's original intention for men and women and undoing the cultural baggage. And I think some Christian baggage that has been packed into what it be, means to be a man. I cannot tell you the number of couples I come across where the man makes the final decisions on things just because he's the man. It doesn't matter if he's wise, more wise than his wife or more godly than his wife. It doesn't matter. He's simply the man. And so he makes the decisions. I just don't buy that. I don't think women have to submit to a guy who is unbelievably immature, who is unbelievably uh, abusive, just because he's a man. I think there I, I think that this this mistaken idea that it's in vir virtue of maleness that the men are to lead and to protect. I think that's completely wrong. I think what God does with redeemed maleness uh, and the gifts that he bestows, I think all of those things have incredible import into a conversation like this. I just don't see being see it being spelled out in the way that Piper suggests. Now, again, I'm I'm doing a poor job of showing my work here. I'm just kind of announcing things I agree with and disagree with. Um, and, and I totally understand that. I, I don't see a podcast like this as um, a, a place for painstaking exegesis always, but um, I see it as a place to raise cultural issues, to create conversation, make it safe to ask questions and wrestle with issues. And I would just simply say, um, that, that if you want to look at the world and see the problem as it's too egalitarian, then we're living in a different world than the one I see. I, I look at a world and I see, no, no, it's way too complementarian. Women have been excluded from places of power, and that is a huge issue. Uh, that's, that is the result of some of, or that is the, the cause of, of so much of the carnage. It's not that our culture is too egalitarian. It's our culture has been too complementarian, and that has been backed up by the church. Now, just to stoke the flames of controversy even further, um, uh, a scholar I very much respect um, tweeted out a recent study by a team of scholars, um, and this this study 
and again, man, it, this, I, I tried, I tried to get through it and I can't, I just can't figure out how legit it is, but it's, it's, um, by, uh, psychology of religion and spirituality. Um, it's called psychology of religion and spirituality, religious beliefs and domestic violence myths by one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight different scholars published March 22nd. Um, and, um, uh, this uh, scholar, Scott McKnight, um, tweeted this out. So I, I looked at the original material. Um, and and again, even in the comments, I mean, it's totally disputed about whether this does. But it was the title of the thing that really caught my attention. Um, it was uh, Calvinism and Domestic Violence. Now, Calvinism, um, a system of thought. Uh, based around the teachings of John Calvin, but really extended some of, uh, beyond um, some of Calvin's original thinking. Um, this uh, Piper represents a form of Calvinist thought. Um, uh, Calvinists are typically typically complementarians, um, and so so the the study was looking at is there any correlation between Calvinist thought and domestic abuse. And um, <laughs> and their conclusion um, was, holy cow, um, uh, let's see here. Their conclusion was, um, Calvinism is not the cause of these things. And these things refers to uh, 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 beliefs and behaviors consistent with domestic abuse. Um, but there is, according to this study, a correlation between Calvinism and domestic violence. It is not Calvinism per se, but mostly males who use Calvinism's hierarchical theories and sovereignty theories to perform and justify abusive behaviors. So at the very least, and again, I don't know if the study is legit or not legit, but I bring it up to simply say yeah, it, it makes at least a bit of intuitive sense that if you believe men are stronger than women, and if you believe that men are to be an oversight over women, and if you believe the woman's role is to simply submit, to never question the man, um, then I can see where you could fall prey easily to the assumptions or the beliefs that would lead to domestic abuse. I'm not, of course, I'm not saying that's where the assumptions naturally should go, would go, obviously not. But, but it's interesting um, that, that this gets out there um, the week after kind of Piper was addressing, well, no, no, we actually need more Calvinism understand Calvinist understandings of male female roles. And then a week later you get this study. And again, I, I encourage you, um, to check it out yourself. Um, it's, it's HTTP, um, two backs dot, uh, colon two backslashes, DX dot DOI dot org backslash 10.1037 backslash REL 000154. I'm sure you're all going to check that out. Or you can go to Scott McKnight's blog, The Jesus Creed, and he has that on there on April 2nd. Now, I just thought it was interesting. Um, I have no comment on the veracity of it or what it shows or doesn't uh, doesn't show. Um, but 
uh, when you look at the world and you say, hey, it's too egalitarian, I think it's these kind of things you have to overcome because um, there are a whole bunch of us that look out the world and say, no, no, it's way too complementarian where women have been excluded from the roles traditionally justified as given to men by referring to the Bible. We'd say, well, I think if women were participating more in those roles of leadership, we'd still be messy because, of course, we're we're fallen creatures and because, uh, because culture, of course, doesn't operate according to biblical assumptions, understand that. Uh, so it'd still be messy, but it, I think it would be a much different kind of mess if women were brought into positions of leadership in an egalitarian way uh, much earlier than this. So some thoughts, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know if you agree, disagree. It seemed like it was worth uh, spending of uh, spending a bit of time on, and um, at least throwing out some thoughts. So I always feel very nervous talking about this stuff because I'm in no way, shape, or form um, a gender expert or understand the nuances of gender identity theory these days. Not even remotely. Um, to me, as somebody who has worked and served in churches, um, I have a great deal of concern uh, for seeing women being brought into leadership and preaching and teaching and all, you know, all kinds of roles uh, that have been previously denied to them by people like me. I mean, I, I am somebody who's totally changed my mind on this and it wasn't the culture changing my mind on that it was the text of the scripture changing my mind on this. Um, and so I feel a great deal of responsibility to kind of undo as much damage as possible by saying, no, I think the really, I think the work of Jesus, the work of the spirit and the church is to embody the original vision for a male female relationships, which is found in Genesis chapter two, that uh, men and women are to be in an Ezer Konegdo relationship. This was passage we've referred to on the podcast before the woman was to be a suitable helper to the man in English. That sounds horrible, but in Hebrew, it's the word Ezer, which means helper. Konegdo, which is suitable. Ezer it actually is a very strong word. It's used of God. So the kind of help is the kind of help that comes from strength, not the kind of help that comes from somebody inferior, like an assistant or something. No, no, no. The, uh, the, the idea is that God was an Ezer to Israel. God was a rescuer, an ally to Israel. I think ally is kind of the best translation there. Konegdo, as we've discussed before, means someone who is in a like opposite. So the man and the woman were to live as co-equal image bearers in a relationship where they were allies in an alike opposite kind of way. They were different and part of their differences are absolutely beautiful, but there was no hierarchy between the two. So, so I would argue um, that, that what culture needs is, uh, is the church to lead the way in empowering women uh, because that's what Jesus did against all cultural convention and uh, the church to, to be a community where men and women can now regather and learn to relate to each other um, in ways uh, not based on old uh, gender hierarchies, but based on the, the teachings of the New Testament, um, that there are special ways men are to treat women, but equally there are special ways women are to treat men. And they're not just rooted in maleness and femaleness, they're also rooted in the outworking of God's kingdom and the fulfillment of the original visions that we were given in Genesis 1 and 2. Now, just walking into the studio is a little boy named Seth. Seth, say hello, internet. Hey, Ed. Say, Seth, tell everybody, was it raining today? Yeah. And uh, was it was it loud? Did it thunder today? 
Yeah. Yeah. And and could you tell everybody what you did today that was special at your school? What did you do today? Do you remember? I got plus. No. Yes, you said I gave. Oh, I gave the pledge. Is that what you said? You gave the Pledge of Allegiance? Yeah. Yeah. So to the whole school, Seth Erie today gave the Pledge of Allegiance. And I thought, since you're here, Seth, would you lead us again in the Pledge of Allegiance? Yeah. All right. Are you ready? Yeah. All right. Hands over our hearts. Ready? Yeah. I pledge Please allegiance. To fuck this United States of America. Republic. What was it, but it was for all. And for all. Yay, ladies and gentlemen. Seth Erie, thank you so much. And that, I think, is a great way to close out the podcast. My brothers and sisters, uh, you're awesome. Thank you so much again for letting uh, me into your life. And uh, I continually hope this is helpful. If you, you know, if you're, I mean, we rely on feedback to kind of, oh, he's blowing kisses. Thank you, Sethy. Um, feel kissed out there in it. You've just been, you've been kissed by Seth Erie, at least in a blowing kisses kind of way. Um, but I would love uh, just your feedback on the direction of the podcast and, and uh, what's been helpful, what's not helpful. Um, very much excited about stuff that we've got coming up and grateful for you. So until next time, brothers and sisters, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. Thanks so much. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to the Vox Podcast. Learn more about us at voxpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at the Vox Podcast. And now support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash voxpodcast.